Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Sunday this summer, we're exploring one of those biblical concepts that while seemingly omnipresent in scripture and sometimes referred to in Christian discourse and dialogue, we may not truly understand. We may not have every nuance and sometimes people use words differently and sometimes frankly inappropriately. So we're trying to just make sure that we're all on the same page speaking the same biblical language. And today we get to talk about that most exciting concept in scripture, the tithe. This is where you all groan. So, <laughs> this is the Tyrannosaurus Rex of biblical concepts, the one that everybody fears and goes, oh, I wish we had gone to brunch. <laughs> this is one of those moments where we have to recognize that God actually has something to say about our income. And that's very difficult. And quite frankly, the church has not helped us feel comfortable with this primarily because all of us have heard stories about how churches and clergy and people who are in leadership positions in churches have taken the gifts that were given in the honor and glory of God and abused them, embezzled them, stole them. And it makes all of us pause and go, do I really want to put my offering in those baskets? Do I really think this is the best way to honor and glorify God and give what I have in mission and ministry. And you're justified if you've ever had that pause because those of us in positions much like myself have done things that make all of us go, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? And so how do we get beyond that? Well, as the church not only the United Methodist Church, but Christianity and across denominations and, and worldwide has to think about reforming how we not only handle monetary gifts, but what we do with them. It's incumbent upon each individual Christian and disciple of Jesus Christ to engage in a counter-reformation, to also think about how we give and what our expectations are when we give. Why are we giving? What is it that we want to see accomplished? What is theologically and doctrinally happening when I put my gift in that basket and then it comes before the Lord? And the scripture today is from one of the oldest recorded parts of the Bible. It comes from the book of Numbers. And it's in a unique place where all of the tribes, all of the tribes are being given their allotment of the promised land. Moses, by lot, is distributing to them their peace their tangible piece of God's covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are now getting to enter in and take possession of the land. And then God turns to the Levites from the tribe of Levi and says to them, you have no land. I give you no allotment. Instead, I am your allotment. 
I am your land, your ground, your foundation. And the priesthood that starts with Aaron and continues through his genealogical descendants, they are from the tribe of Levites. And so there's this subgroup of Levites, and God starts talking about how they will be cared for. Giving land over to the tribes was to empower them to earn a living. They're on the land if it was feasible. They could plant vineyards. They could plant all kinds of fields of produce, and they could grow their own food. They could sell that. They could make a profit and tend for their generations there. If the land was not good for agriculture, then perhaps it would be better for tending animals, flocks, sheep, goats, cattle, whatever it was, so that they too could earn a living and have an income. And yet the Levites and the priesthood of Aaron are given no such ability. So how are they to live? Well, they actually live much like Methodist clergy do. The United Methodist Church understands that if I do not receive payment so that I can care for my family and myself, then I would be forced to have another job. So in essence, by paying me a salary, you're not paying me to do ministry. You're actually paying me so that I can do ministry. Because if something should happen and someone goes in the hospital and you call me and I say, I'm sorry, I'm working a six-hour shift at Starbucks, I'll have to call you later, you're not going to be very happy with me. But instead, you can call me and I will come because I have been liberated from that work schedule so that I can serve you. That's, that's the way that the priesthood was. They were on call. And any time there was the need, they would step up and serve in mission and ministry. And so we see that reflected in numbers, that Aaron and the priesthood were to receive the tithe, that that was to go to sustain them in their work and in their ministry. And that's really important for us to realize that when we give, we're giving to honor and glorify God, absolutely. But God doesn't just tell us to put it on here and light it on fire and leave. God is telling us that there is work to be done. What we don't understand often from the scripture is that deep down, God was not only providing for all of the priesthood and the Levites, but God was also providing for the people who found themselves in catastrophic and traumatic need, that there was more than enough. And so what happened was that the extra gifts were able to become kind of a social safety net. People who needed food could go to the priesthood and receive food. People who needed to have some fiscal assistance were able to receive that. And so the concept of the tithe was that you give one-tenth of your earned income, not one-tenth of your Christmas gift from grandma. All right? I have this conversation all the time. If you love someone and you give them $100, God does not expect that they will go down to the bank and break it into tens and then give $10 here. The tithe was recognition that in your work, your labor, your salary, your income, whatever monetary or in-kind payment you receive, that, that a tenth of that would come before the Lord because this is the God who has blessed us and enabled us to do our work, and we have been richly blessed, and so we honor and glorify God in that gift. Not everything you get monetarily is meant to be tithed. It's the fruit of your labor. And so we've had that perverted. Have you ever heard somebody saying, well, you know, you got a gift from grandma and you're supposed to tithe that? I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot. And then you should see the smile on the kid's face when I go, actually, they're not. The kid's like, yeah, I don't tithe this check. No, no. Because that's not the fruit of their labor. 
Now, if they were to go and get a job walking dogs or babysitting, then welcome to tithing, right? We've entered into that concept that there are some things through which, because we were able to earn a living, we are thankful for that, and we give a gift of it back. And I'm trying to raise a child who understands tithing, as I was raised to understand that tithing is part of my life. And so one time we were talking about how in order to tithe, sometimes we have to make judicious decisions. Sometimes we have to postpone something that we would want. I can't get a new vehicle right now. I'm going to have to save up and have a longer time frame for that. Or, you know, I may have to adjust my lifestyle so that I can be faithful in my giving. You know, I may not be able to go to Starbucks every Sunday. I may have to settle for a Keurig and some Pike Place cake cups. It happens. We can get by. Right, so there are, there are adjustments that we make in order to be faithful. So I get paid every two weeks, and the first thing that comes out of my paycheck is my tithe check. I write my tithe directly to the church every two weeks. And so my son one time wanted us to do something, and we were having this conversation about that is a huge purchase, and we are probably going to have to save up over the course of a year or more. And so I don't think that's going to happen immediately, and we need to discern together whether or not this is something we want to invest in. And he said, well, you get paid. Yes, I do. Well, how much money is it? And I said, well, you know, here's what I make. I said, and every time I get paid, I write my tithe check for $220. And he goes, that's a lot of money. I said, does it sound like a lot of money? He goes, yeah, that sounds like a lot of money. We could buy like multiple PlayStations with that. <laughs> Which isn't true, but he's eight. So, he recognizes that that seems like a lot of money. And I still live in a world where anything over $100 feels like, pause, let's think about that. Okay. You know, we have to kind of go through that process. And so I said, well, you know, it's interesting because I'd write a check for 220 to the church in the honor and glory of God, but I write a check for $400 for my taxes. He goes, that's a lot of money. I was like, right? That's what that feels like. It feels like a lot of money. It feels like more than what I give for God, right? I'm giving more to the government. And I love this country. I appreciate the government. I'm the daughter of a civil servant. I used to be married to a civil servant. When I was in seminary, I was a civil servant. All of us actually worked for the Department of Defense of the Army. And I have seen the good that comes forth from the government. And I have gained many glimpses and encounters and experiences with some of the bad that comes forth from bureaucracy. And that's a whole horse of a different color. But... I have never regretted giving my money to God. I have questioned sometimes what people have done with the money that I have given to God, but I have never regretted what I give to God. And that is because I am ever aware of the model that is given to us in Scripture. God is telling us that if we are willing to trust God with our gift, that God will show us incredible visions, that God will show us things that we could never fathom and we could never accomplish on our own. So one of the examples of this in Scripture is recorded in all four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about the feeding of the 5,000. You probably know this story, right? Jesus is out. The crowds gather to him. The text says that he felt compassion for him, so he taught them. He spoke to them. He preached, and then he healed them. And then it started to get late, and he looked around, and he goes, you know what? There's a lot of people here, and they're hungry. And then he turns to the 12, and he says to them, feed them. And the 12 said, how are we supposed to feed them? Where are we going to get the money to feed them? 
And this was before you could take your credit card and go down to Walmart. So they're really struggling with, is this a test? Is he doing this weird like mind test thing again? What is he doing? Why does he want us to feed these people? Let them feed themselves, whatever. And he says, no, you feed them. And they have to try to figure out how to do it. Only the gospel account of John records where the solution came from. And it came from, it says, a boy who had a basket with five loaves and two fishes. Now, in the Old Testament, the number seven was the number of completion. That's why there's seven days in the creation story. It's the fulfillment and the fullness of things. So if you have seven of something in the Bible, it means you should be very satisfied and not go back for seconds. So in the scriptures, when he shows up with five loaves and two fishes, he has come with seven. And Andrew, one of the inner sanctum in the disciples, says to Jesus, here's this boy. He's got five loaves and two fishes. What are you going to do with this? And Jesus says, bring me baskets. And so they, ba- they gather together the baskets. And the scripture is completely vague about this moment about how old is this boy? Who is he? Is he eight? Is he 18? Boy is a pretty generic term, so there's no real way to tell. What does he look like? What's his name? Where does he go? Where did he get this stuff? Why is he hanging out with a full basket full of bread and fish and everybody else is starving? We have nothing to tell us. We also don't know how Jesus did what he did. The wedding at Cana, when Jesus pours the, has the servants pour the water into the large vessels for purification, he then immediately says, ladle it back out, and it's wine. We know that however it goes in, it comes back out. We don't know how he breaks, but if we could only be there to glimpse him breaking the bread, and every time he breaks it, there's more. And he keeps breaking the bread and splitting the fish, and suddenly there is enough for 5,000 men, not including women and children, the scriptures proclaim. Not including women and children. Now, why you would only count one out of every three, I'm not sure. This is one of those questions that I keep deep inside for Jesus when he comes back. That we're going to ask why we couldn't get an accurate tally. You can tell ushers have had problems with counting forever. So here he is, and he takes these baskets. And the scriptures record for us that... They hand out the baskets of the fishes and the loaves, and everybody eats, and everybody eats their full. They're filled. Everybody is absolutely satisfied. And then they gather up the baskets, and there are 12 baskets, one for every tribe and one for every apostle, 12 baskets of extra food. There wasn't just enough. Everyone ate till they were satisfied, and there was still more. If we are willing to trust God with what we have in the basket, there will not only be enough to accomplish what we have to accomplish, but there will be enough, there will be more. If we are like that boy and we are willing to say, here, Jesus, show me what you can do. Here is what I have. What can you do with this? And we often wonder what happens to it. You know, you put it in the basket, and then it comes up here, and I say something, and then we sing a hymn and go home, right? What happens to it? Well, in the United Methodist Church, there is a rather truncated hierarchy through which our money fund flows. So there, it's, most of it will stay here at the local church, here in Crozet, under our purview and in our, in our missions and our ministries. Some of it, and this is the part that Moses heard from God, The tithe of the tithe, a piece of our giving, will go to the global church. It will travel first to the district, and then it will go to the annual conference, and it's a hop right from the annual conference to the global church. 
That's exactly where it goes. And so you're talking about what you give here in Crozet goes to the Charlottesville district, it goes to the Virginia Annual Conference, and then it can go anywhere in the world. And so where does it go? If you've ever supported UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, I'm going to share with you just some of what happens when we give. Okay? So one of the things that this church has done far before I got here is pay its apportionments. That's our tithe of the tithe. That's the, the gift that we give to the greater church for the honor and the glory of God. And they sent us this really awesome, rather thick cardstock. This is what you got, right? This is what you get back. And this says, thank you for giving faithfully 100% to the apportionment covenant in 2017. The number of churches that are eligible to receive this certificate dwindle every year. Every year, the number of churches that pay their tithe of the tithe, their apportionments in the covenant, shrinks. And this was awarded first to our bishop, Sharma Lewis, from the Virginia Conference, but it has our name on it. And then it has two fancy signatures, one from Moses Rathen Kumar, the general secretary and treasurer on the General Council of Finance and Administration, which will never fit on the business card, but it sounds very prestigious. And Bishop Michael McKee, president of the General Council of Finance and Administration. So two, two people from the global church have signed off that we have been faithful to the book of Numbers. That we have done what we said that we would do and what the church has asked of us for the honor of glory in God. And most of the time, we have no idea. They say thank you, and then we have no idea where it went. Well, where does it go? It goes to things like the administrative costs for UMCOR. It goes to handle some of the mission work of the global church. It goes to ensure that we are able to do precisely what Jesus tells us to do. And what does Jesus tell us to do? I think it's very clear in Matthew 25. We are to feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, visit the sick and the imprisoned. Jesus is pretty clear there, lays it all out for us. This is what we are to do. And Methodism enables us to do that through our connectional links, that we are tied to other churches all over the world. There is Methodism being lived out on every continent because there's a chapel in Antarctica. We are able to build the kingdom because of our giving, our faithful giving. And so the United Methodist Church has a mission project called Health Systems Strengthening. And I was able to get the numbers of just one mission project that the United Methodist Church initiated and has brought to fruition in 2017. And according to the gifts that were received from local churches in offering baskets and offering plates from all over the world, this is what we were able to accomplish. Thirteen mission hospitals received equipment. If you've ever been in the hospital and you've received a charge for a CAT scan alone, one use of this equipment, 13 hospitals received equipment in order to care for the sick. 45 facilities, medical facilities, received medication and supplies. They charge you like $2 for an aspirin in this country. But we were able to give 45 medical facilities, medication and supplies. 16 health facilities were fully renovated. In an era where it averages over a quarter to half a million dollars to renovate a portion of an American church, we were able to renovate 16 health facilities. 72,523 people, almost 73,000 people benefited from the health system strengthening program. 
They were trained. They were certified. They, they were able to engage in continuing education. They were plugged into health network systems so that they could use their gifts, their graces, their time, and their talents to heal the sick. Jesus looked at his apostles and he said, I'm sending you out in twos and I want you to go heal people. And they failed. They failed. But we have empowered almost 73,000 people to continue the very work that Jesus' own apostles could not do. And they are healing people all over the world. I will never in the full duration of my life be able to purchase a CAT scan machine. Never. I will never make that kind of money and I will never have that kind of disposable income. But because of my tithe, Part of this was enabled, and that blows my mind that little old Sarah, living out on Crozet in the foothills in Virginia, is able to claim a part of this kind of kingdom building. And every single one of you, whether you give regularly, whether you tithe, whether you show up at Christmas and Easter, we still love you, and you put $20 in this basket, you have built the kingdom through your gifts. And it's not so much a test of God, let's see. Instead, it's an act of faithfulness, just like that boy. Here, Jesus, it's yours. I can't wait to see what you do with it. I can't wait to see the kingdom here. The prophet Joel records for us that because of what God is capable of doing, our daughters and our sons shall prophesy. Our old men will dream dreams and our youth will see visions. It says that even the servants and the slaves will receive the Holy Spirit and prophesy. And the book of Acts records this as the fulfillment through the presence and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. That Pentecost was the fulfillment of Joel. And so they got to glimpse God's promise coming true. People who had not been empowered to even speak in public were leaders of the early church because of God's presence and movement there. And for those of us who hear the biblical mandate to honor and glorify God and give, when we give, we are simply saying to God, you can do more with this than I ever will. Every two weeks, I, my household could fly through $220. We could probably eat that in about a week. And yet, by choosing to place it here, I'm actually placing it all around the world. And I have many regrets fiscally in my life. I used to be a bill collector. I could name for you all kinds of regrets. But I have never regretted honor and glorifying God and then being part of kingdom building here. When I look at equipping 73,000 people to heal, you know that lives are changed. And the United Methodist Church responds immediately to every natural disaster for the last 50 years. In Haiti for the hurricane, we were first we have beat FEMA and the Red Cross to major world disasters. We, have, we were first for the tsunami in Japan. We are on the ground and ready to go, and we expect nothing in return. 
Nothing. Not taxes, not charitable donations. We are simply there because we want to honor and glorify God. And I had, I had a friend who graduated valedictorian from high school, and he went to Cornell, and while he was in Cornell, he got a job with a little tech firm. And in that little tech firm, he was working while going to school, and he graduated from Cornell, and he kept working for the little tech firm. And the firm said, we really appreciate how loyal you've been, but we know that we can't afford to give you the kind of, we're not Microsoft, we can't, we can't do that. And so they undergirded his annual salary by allowing him to invest in them, giving him stock in the company. And that little tech firm did all right. In fact, when it went public as Accenture, he was instantly a multimillionaire. When we say to God, I believe in your promises, I hear you in the Old Testament, in Joel. I hear you in the book of Acts. And I want to see those things, Lord. I want to be a part of your work here. I want not only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't want just the gospel, Lord. I want everything all the way through and including the book of Revelation. I want to see your kingdom come and your will done here. Just like it is every day in heaven. I want to see people no longer hungry and thirsty. I want to see parents who can afford to feed and clothe their children. I want to see people no longer afraid that someone will come in the darkness of the night and hurt them and cause suffering. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see every stranger welcomed as family. And if we are willing to respond that way to that invitation then God is willing to make us ground floor investors in the kingdom to come. There is no better retirement plan. There is no better real estate investment than choosing to be a part of the kingdom of God. All of this world will crumble and fall. Every banking institution will fail when Jesus comes back. And yet all of the treasures that we have stored up in heaven and all the ways that we have allowed God's kingdom to be fulfilled here and now, that will be the standard by which we get to enjoy. Jesus promises us that everything that you ever give in my name and in my honor, no matter what someone does with it after you give it, I know and I receive it. And out of your trust and your faithfulness, we are proving to the world that not only is the kingdom of God coming, but that it truly was inaugurated in the coming of Jesus Christ. And that every United Methodist, all of our Christian brethren, all of our siblings in Christ across every denomination, every time we give our gifts, every single penny, not only reflects that God is the king of our hearts, our homes, and our finances, but that we know that only that monarch is capable of transforming this world. It is a proclamation, and it sets us free from the ever-endless spiral of wondering if we have enough, do we keep it, do we squander it, do I need to hold it closer, the model for how to live and give 
is this, open, arms extended, and willing to embrace all. And it's miraculous to me that our gifts not only teach that and preach that, but they are that. And may we always focus not on the mechanics, but the heart that wants to glorify. For the kingdom is capable of being built not just here in Crozet, but all over the world because of the faithfulness of generations going all the way back to the book of Numbers. May this be our legacy in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.